my name is Ben. I'm a member here at Bethany Baptist Church, and typically speaking on, on, a, on a Sunday morning, we'd be having PJ, who is our pastor, preaching. Um, he's asked a few of the brothers to help out this morning. Um, I guess in basketball lingo, you could say he is on injured reserve for now. He had knee surgery. So for the next few Sundays, he is receiving a DNP. Um, do not play. I don't even know what that means. He, he, he's not going to be preaching. So he's, he's, he's not preaching. So it is my privilege and honor to be able to be a messenger of God's Word here this morning. So if you could turn in your Bibles, and if you're using one of the pew Bibles, the Bibles that are underneath your chairs, um, you could turn to page 1075. If you don't have a pew Bible, that's perfectly okay. But if you turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. 1 Peter 1, chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Actually, you know what? I'm going to start from verse 1 and read all the way through verse 9. Same page, though. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen, living as exiles dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith, for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now, for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though not seeing Him now, you believe in Him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Father, I'm not only an imperfect messenger, but an inadequate one as well. But you and your word are perfect. May I depend on your Holy Spirit's power now as you use me to share your word, which gives life. We were reminded last week that your grace is active, and we pray that you'd grant us that grace here this morning as we meditate on your word. We also know that grace decays, so we pray that not only, not only for an extended shelf life for that grace, but that you would hide your word in our hearts so that we wouldn't sin against you. We pray that your words would comfort us, encourage us, sharpen us, rebuke us, and cause our faith to strengthen as we turn to you in loving obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What are you thankful for? There are a lot of reasons that we ought to be thankful. Realsimple.com says that if you need a little bit of help with brainstorming, they've come up with 111 things to be thankful for this year. And here is just uh, a few of what um, th the things that they are sharing to be thankful for. Dishwashers. Actually, I think any appliance we would be thankful for, right? A continuous string of green lights when you're already running late. For some reason, I have Alanis Morissette's ironic song in my mind. Mugs that tell it like it is. Really good coworkers. The snooze button, and puppies, exclamation point. And a lot of us agree with these things and a lot more other things to be thankful for. 
We can never be too thankful. Am I right? Now, I have another list here. And I'm curious if any of these received any words of gratitude this last Thursday at your Thanksgiving meal. Excruciatingly slow Wi-Fi because it taught you patience. Being hangry, that irritability, that, that medley of being both hungry and angry all wrapped into one ugly mess because it reminds you that you're dependent on God to provide food. The man cold, because it teaches you to rejoice in all circumstances. Challenging relationships at work or within the context of your family, because blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Aches and pains that only worsen, because the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. A miscarriage because it allowed you to experience the comfort of God. The death of a loved one because it allows you to grieve with hope in Christ and taste the sweetness of comfort that only Christ can provide. A diagnosis of a terminal disease because you can pray to our Father for healing and trust that whatever He ordains is right. I know this is, a, is quite a spectrum of life's discouragements, so please don't interpret me as being insensitive or making light of any trials that are indeed heavy or even tragic. My point is that these are not the typical things we're praising the Lord about, right? Why is that? Some of these are examples of us being uncomfortable or inconvenienced, while others are examples of us experiencing deep darkness or being completely miserable. God consistently commands us to rejoice in the Lord always. Despite this, we typically reserve our complaints for any of these challenging times. Definitely not gratitude. I have a personal resume of ingratitude that's embarrassingly long, full of examples of me grumbling in response to life's adversities. And as my family will attest to you, that was just yesterday. (laughs) I'm not joking, right? (laughs) right, everyone? In actuality, it's much easier to be thankful for what we consider to be favorable circumstances as opposed to being thankful in trials and in hard times. That is the biggest challenge, and Peter helps us out here in these verses. So let's start by looking at who Peter is addressing here in verse 1. We see that he's speaking to the elect exiles. He's speaking to Christians who are pilgrims, whose home wasn't the earth, pilgrims whose citizenship is not here but in heaven. Tracking down to to verse 3, Peter begins by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And by saying the words, blessed be, Peter is essentially saying, praise the Lord. By saying, blessed be, he is expressing delight and gratitude. Peter here is giving thanks. So here's our main idea. If you're taking notes, we do have some sheets in the back that are just blank sheets if you need some note-taking paper. Um, But in the middle of your bulletins, you will see some blank paper if you would like to take notes. So our main idea, praise God from the depth of your heart in the midst of your trials. Praise God from the depth of your heart in the midst of your trials. I'll say it one more time. Praise God from the depth of your heart in the midst of your trials. And Peter gives three reasons compelling us to praise God in hard times. And here are our three points. Give thanks to God because, one, 
Your faith enables you to rejoice in sufferings. Give thanks to God because your faith enables you to rejoice in sufferings. Give thanks to God because your faith is refined by fire. That's point number two. Give thanks to God because your faith is refined by fire. And I'll be repeating them as we go along as well. And point number three, give thanks to God because your faith leads to final salvation. Give thanks to God because your faith leads to final salvation. And before we dive any further into these three exhortations, I want to be careful because it could sound like I am praising your faith. As I'm saying, give thanks to God because your faith. But let us look quickly at where faith comes from and what it is. And what is faith? It's a term used very loosely in our society, and to some maybe the equivalent of wishful or hopeful thinking, positive thoughts, perhaps. The dictionary defines faith as complete trust or confidence in someone or something. And as Christians, we know who that someone ought to be, and that's God. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, we see that faith is, and this is the biblical definition of it, uh, the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. In this chapter, we see many examples of biblical faith. Faith is a confidence that God, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, eternally trustworthy, and eternally gracious. When this God promises something to come about, though unseen now, we can expect that God will follow through with His promises. And where does faith come from? Let's have you turn in your Bibles. Um, if you're to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, if you're using the Pew Bible, that's on page 1036. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For you are not saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Faith isn't something that we are born with or something that we bring into existence by our own power. God's Word tells us that our own faith is a gift given to us by Him and that God receives all the glory for doing so. So your faith in God is in itself a gift from God and your faith enables you to rejoice in sufferings. Your faith is refined by fire, and your faith leads to final salvation. Give thanks for your faith that provides all these gifts. So let's take a little bit more closely at our first point. Give thanks because your faith enables you to rejoice in sufferings. That's point number one. Give thanks because your faith enables you to rejoice in sufferings. Let's look at verse 6. So, turn back to 1 Peter. Again, that's on page 1075. You lost your place there. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. And here Peter says, You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. Praise the Lord that you rejoice even though you suffer grief. I chose this passage initially because of these two verses, verses 6 and 7. When Ruby and I were in the thick darkness of Baby Red's adoption, one of the brothers here at Bethany Baptist Church gospelized me. In other words, he, he sent me, he texted me this verse from God's Word. It encouraged me because I was indeed suffering grief. 
And these verses reminded me of the hope that I have in Christ. And as we see here, God has determined that suffering is short. James 4.14 says that life itself is but a vapor. And that suffering is only allowed if God deems it necessary. If it is in line with God's will. Suffering is purposeful, and it just doesn't happen because somebody um, is unlucky. Let's look at a couple of the reasons for hope as we strive to rejoice in trials. At the beginning of verse 6, Peter says, you rejoice in this. What is in this referring to? And for this, we need to rewind a little bit uh, and look at the previous verses to see what he is referring to. So, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, sorry, I lost my place, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time, in the last time. So do you see what this in this is referring to? It's referring to two things. An eternal salvation and an eternal inheritance. We see this in verses 3 and 4. In verse 3, be encouraged, Christians, that we rejoice in salvation, the new birth into living hope there in verse 3. And in, verse, in verse, and in verse 4, into an imperishable inheritance that awaits us. God is so merciful that He has gifted us new life through Jesus Christ. This all-powerful, all-knowing, eternally trustworthy, and eternally gracious King is so merciful that He has gifted us new life through Jesus and... He's gifted us an inheritance that is incomprehensibly eternal and indestructible. As one of our church members reminded me, 80 years of suffering is nothing worth comparing to 80 billion plus ages that we will experience with our Savior. Some of you know that I'm a stickler for not only making purchases that have been reviewed and recommended, some of you know this about me, to a fault, from technology to toiletries. I want to know that I'm using my money for quality, for something durable, for something that is long-lasting. I like warranties. I like guarantees. Whether it's reading through reviews online or using our Consumer Reports subscription, yes, we do have one of those, I'm reading as much as possible about a product before I am making that purchase. I'm essentially looking for something that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. I'm wishfully looking for this IUU stamp of approval, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And even if you don't scrutinize products as critically as I do, you're likely wanting to get the best bang for your buck, right? Products that provide any type of guarantee, whether it's a one-year or a lifetime guarantee, those are more appealing typically than those that don't offer any warranty whatsoever. I've been an Apple computer customer for over 25 years years. And as dependable as they are, relatively speaking, I know we have some um, Apple fans here and some people that are against Apple here in the audience. Despite your love of Apple products, they do not last forever. How many of you are familiar with the PowerBook? It was a precursor to the MacBook Pro. And so what was cutting-edge technology in 2004 
is now nothing but a glorified five pound, because it's pretty heavy, and it's not that big either, it's 12 inch, um, doorstop. And it also doubles as a really sleek paperweight. And even with their three-year warranty, the technology in Apple computers eventually perish. It eventually fades. And becomes what Apple refers to obsolete. That's what they refer to these products that have lived their life. I'm now on my second Apple laptop since we had gotten that PowerBook 15 years ago. And to some, that may, may not seem like a whole lot of laptops. You may be thinking, so what? I already know technology doesn't last. As I said, maybe you've been in the habit of getting a new computer every year or every other year. And that's my point. We all see how quickly technology fades and erodes. And it's just one example as everything on this earth will eventually perish. And if everything on this earth will eventually perish, what perishable things are you attempting to find your joy? In what fading things are you putting your hope? Is it in your health? It too will deteriorate no matter how healthy you feel right now. Maybe your joy is in this great season of life that you're in. It too will soon fade. Is it in your kids? If they are still at home, they will grow up and they will leave and start families of their home sooner than you realize. Is it in your spouse? You're both sinners and will annoy each other from time to time. Some amens out there, huh? Is it in your youthful appearance? Ain't no cream that's designed to prevent every wrinkle that is to come. Is it in your physical fitness? No matter how much you work out, aches and pains will come. And here in First Peter, God is giving us a promise an I-O-U of sorts, toward this I-U-U, this imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And we we rejoice in God granting us salvation as well. Why look elsewhere for joy? And we see in verse 4 that this salvation, this everlasting inheritance that is being preserved in heaven for you, Christian, by God's unlimited power. And how is this being done? Through what? Take a look there in the middle of verse 5. What is it through? It's through faith. Through our faith, which in itself is a gift from God. And verse 6 is saying that you rejoice in God's unseen gifts, even though you suffer temporarily. Something else that's worth noting is that grieving and rejoicing are simultaneous. God's design is that when you experience grief, you're also called to rejoice at the same time. And Peter isn't alone in declaring this. Paul in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 10, also echoes this when he says, as grieving, yet always rejoicing. And in James 1, verse 2, we see this consistent message. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. While it's easy to rejoice in the absence of suffering, you cannot suffer in the absence of of rejoicing. God commands us to rejoice when we suffer. So, some application here. So, for our non-Christian friends that are here, thank you for being here. There are a lot of other places you could be on a Sunday morning, right? 
God has brought you here this morning, and we're delighted to have you. What I'd like to say to you is that we all suffer, not just Christians. Since suffering isn't something that um, anyone typically chooses, if you haven't suffered already, sometime you will suffer. Unless, of course, God takes your life quickly. My question to you is, how do you respond in trials? Where do you find your hope? Is it in something that will eventually perish? Is it in your excellent coping skills, perhaps? In your health? Your money? Your great support system? Distractions like sports or maybe other hobbies? Is it in things that will eventually fade away? God is calling you to put hope in a living, eternal hope. To place your hope in a God who is eternal and has eternal promises for you. This is our prayer for you. To Christians that are here, remember that when you suffer through any of the struggles of life, that's any of them, may they be lighter or heavier, God calls you to rejoice. As difficult as it is, your faith in God and His promises enables you to rejoice. If and when you don't rejoice, repent. Ask God to soften your heart and help you to be able to rejoice in the midst of trials. So again, point number one, give thanks because your faith enables you to rejoice in sufferings. And the reality is that we don't often thank God in the midst of sufferings, right? So Peter goes a little further. How else can we rejoice in suffering? What is it about suffering that should make us thankful? So point number two, give thanks because your faith is refined by fire. Give thanks because your faith is refined by fire. Give thanks because your faith is refined by fire. During trials, many people cry out, why God? Why? And as we continue into verse 7, Peter shares a reason for why suffering comes. So that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So why might you need to suffer? The answer is here. So that the proven character or the genuineness or the authenticity of your faith may be found of great value, resulting in praise, glory, and honor when Christ returns, resulting in Christ saying to us, well done, good and faithful servant, resulting in Him giving us the unfading crown of glory that Peter talks about later in chapter chapter 5, verse 4. That seems to be a good exchange, right? Suffer for a short time, and only if an all-wise God deems it to be necessary. And it results in us receiving an eternal salvation and this IUU, this, this inheritance that is in imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. What's uncomfortable, however, just might be what we leapfrog there in verse 7. That's the process of doing so. So let's go back to the middle of verse 7. You suffer grief in trials so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. More valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire. Let's first look at the valuable part, 
and then we'll dive into the refining part. Peter says here that your faith is more valuable than gold. This is an example of what kilogram of gold looks like. Don't try to bum rush me. This is not a real gold bar. So one kilogram is about two pounds, and it's valued at around $40,000. A lot of value in $40,000, right? So I think we'd all equate gold with value. Why is it so valuable? It's rare, it's pretty, and it's durable. Gold is valuable because it is rare. All the gold that has ever been refined throughout history could fit within 60 big rigs. Take a moment to think about that. All the gold refined throughout history could fit in 60 18-wheelers. Matthew 7, verse 21, speaks of how rare true faith is when Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Gold is rare, and so is true faith. Gold is valuable because it's also pretty. I know this is something subjective, but gold's chemical symbol is A-U from the Latin word aurum, A-U-R-U-M, which means shining dawn. Gold is pretty. Although God's definition of what's pretty is different from the world's definition of what is pretty. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 28, Paul says, We see, for through faith you were all sons of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. Gold is pretty, and so is true faith. Gold is valuable because it is also durable. Gold is the least reactive of any metal, so it won't corrode when it's exposed to water or oxygen. It won't ever rust or tarnish. And in 2 Corinthians 7, 4, despite things not going well for Paul because of his faith, he is able to say, but I am overflowing with joy in all our afflictions. Gold is durable, and so is true faith. And despite gold's durability, we see here in verse 7 that it too will perish one day in um, 2 Peter 3.10, he goes on to say that when the Lord returns, the elements, like gold, will burn and be dissolved. So it, too, will perish. Gold is extremely valuable. And Peter is saying that your faith is much more valuable than gold. So we give thanks not only for our faith, which is more valuable than gold, but because, and this is our second point, your faith is refined or purified by the fire. Give thanks for your faith, or because your faith is refined by the fire. What does this process of gold refining or gold purification require? Well, it starts with a whole lot of rock also known as gold ore, and that's O-R-E, not O-R, gold O-R-E. It's a really raw form, form of gold. It's essentially big rocks with microscopic traces of gold there within. 
how much gold ore is required to get this amount of gold? Approximately 3,000 tons of gold ore. So in terms of weight, to compare that to elephants, 637 African elephants in terms of the weight. You need a whole lot of gold ore to get this amount of gold. And in order to remove the impurities from all of that gold ore, it has to be subjected to two, almost 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit in temperature. And during the refining process, the ore melts under these extreme temperatures. And then the impurities begin to rise to the top. The impurities are then skimmed off the top of that molten metal. And the more the refining process is is repeated, the purer the gold becomes. And this is how we get 24 karat gold. 24 karat gold is pure gold. So what Peter is saying here is that in order to obtain, obtain this level of purity, your faith too has to be tested. Has to be tested through the fire. And God uses this imagery of uh, purifying precious metals like silver and gold to communicate to us that He uses the grief we suffer in life to purify our faith. Job 23.10 says, Yet He knows the way I have taken. When He has tested me, I will emerge as pure gold. In Isaiah, we see in chapter 48, verse 10, Look, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. Through suffering, God brings these impurities to the surface for our good and for His glory. In his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, Tim Keller says, You don't really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all that you have. How many of us desire to be closer to God? How many of us desire to have a stronger faith, a purer faith, a faith that is proven to be authentic? It requires the fire and a whole lot of God's grace. And have you turned to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10? And if you're in the Pew Bibles, you can actually leave your finger there on page 1075 um, or wherever, whatever Bible you're in. Um, turn to page 1029 in the Pew Bibles. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Second Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10, follow along. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties, For the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, I am strong. The trials of life are what test us, refine us, and strengthen us with the goal of exposing and removing these weaknesses. All for God's glory as we're drawn closer to Him. In this broken world, we all inevitably encounter suffering in this life, and it probably won't be by choice. I know that many of you here continue to be in a season of ongoing suffering, and initially, suffering isn't 
what we will uh, roll out the welcome mat for. In fact, we viewed it as something quite disruptive to our plans. We view it as something completely sour without any sweetness. One of the reasons I love this time of the year is because citrus is in season. And this isn't a sermon on citrus fruit, or else I could go on and on about them. And I know these may look kind of similar, but maybe if I hold it like this in terms of the shape, can you guys tell what this is? And how does an orange typically taste? Sweet. A sweet orange, right? Now, there may be a little tartness in some oranges, but imagine a sweet orange. <laughs> good. You're all good. Sweet is good. You guys tell what this is? Kind of by the shape. It's a lemon. You guys have passed the citrus quiz. But I have one more. We're going to make or break you. How many of you are familiar with what a kumquat is? Yeah, some kumquat fans out here. This is a kumquat. I know. Um, for some, you may, I know that we have some Filipinos here, may, uh, it may look like a calamansi or like a calamanda, and this is just something very different from what a kumquat is. Something unique about kumquats is that you eat the entire fruit. It's a citrus fruit, and it has a peel to it. But it's, it's counterintuitive. It's just the opposite of what you would imagine. The inside is what is sour, and the peel is what is sweet. And there's a kumquat variety that I absolutely love because it has a thicker peel. That's the miwa. Anyone is wondering. <laughs> when we experience any level of suffering, this is what we're wanting, right? We cry out, I want that sweet orange. Because all we see is this lemon. And in actuality, I'd say suffering isn't necessarily a lemon, but a kumquat. So, just the thought of consuming a kumquat can cause somebody's mouth to water because as you bite into a kumquat, a burst of tart juice explodes in your mouth. But if you allow yourself to continue chewing the kumquat as opposed to spitting it out, you will taste of the sweetness of the peel in this kumquat, and that sweetness will linger, and that citrus flavor will also linger. So, suffering can taste quite sour and can even embitter us, but there is a Christ-focused sweetness that comes along with suffering. And you can put Ruby, my wife, and me in this category of individuals who only want this sweet orange and stay away, stay far away as possible from this sour lemon. And we're currently in the 11th month of a heavier season of suffering. In the adoption of a child, there is joy combined with loss, existing simultaneously together, a medley of sweet and sour. So we have a loved one that became unexpectedly pregnant, and we walked this road with her, and then continued down the road of adopting baby Red. That's her name. That's her daughter's name. Her name is Red. Adopted her into her own family. There were so many unknowns and still continue to be. 
But this process is refining us. It is slowly stripping us of our sins of control, our sins of comfort. In the past, after we um, had our four daughters, if anyone asked us if we planned to have more children, Ruby would commonly respond, as many of you are aware, if God wants us to have more kids, He'll have to do it Himself. And so God did. (laughs) Definitely not in the way that we had expected. And while it felt like a detour, this is the road that He has planned for us all along. And our family continues exactly as it should be, according to God's plan. From the moment we met right at the hospital, she was our daughter. Sure, she came in a different way than our other girls, but she's ours. And adoption is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful picture of how God chooses us and adopts us into His family. But the reality of adoption is that it's also hard. There is sweet joy and bitter loss simultaneously existing together. Much like the kumquat, right? It is especially difficult when the birth mom is someone you love and are close to. And it's a, uh, it's a trial that we continue to navigate. Throughout this, God has brought us closer to Him. We've experienced a peace and a sweetness that we wouldn't have experienced in any other way. Through the refining, God has, again, exposed our sins of self-reliance and a selfish desire for our own comfort. We continue to be sifted and refined, and we're left with no other choice but to cling to Christ and fight for joy in every step. We've seen church family, family, and friends display God's grace towards us and how they too have walked this road with us. So while it was a huge change in the trajectory of the direction we were going in our family's life, we know and are excited that this is the road that God has us on. And we wouldn't have it any other way. We're starting to get a taste of how unappealing, an unrefined faith would be in the absence of trials. If all we had was a diet full of sweet oranges, and none of these guys here. This trial is shaping our mindset that this life is not our own. We are citizens of heaven, not earth. And as a result, it is worthless to store any of our treasures here. Our suffering has continued to strip us of our love for control and force us in the direction of trusting God. Our suffering is building our endurance just as God promises to do so. And these are just some of the ways that God is refining us. What about you? What are the impurities that inhibit you from developing a more mature and authentic faith? What are the impurities that you cling to? Impurities that the refining fire from God the the Father has perfectly designed to refine you. Do you desire to be stripped of the control that you have over your life? Do you desire to be refined of your idols? Purified of your self-righteousness? Removed of your false identities, your unbelief, your pride, your hard heart, your false sense of peace, your ingratitude, your self-sufficiency, your hope in your health? Maybe your godless living? 
It's in the flames of suffering that God strips us of these impurities. To quote our brother Johnny from last week's sermon, godly living includes suffering. So a couple points of application here. For non-Christians, what do you see as the purpose of your suffering? Or is there even purpose in the pain that you're having to endure when life happens? To the Christians that are here, whether members or visiting from another church, as we talked about, 24 karat gold is pure gold. Many here might be familiar with the line in the song, 24 karat gold, I'm oh, sorry, 24 karat magic in the air, right? Familiar with that, that line? So can you honestly say 24 karat passion is your prayer? If trials are designed to prove and strengthen our faith, not only should we anticipate our visit, their visit rather, we should also be hospitable to this unwelcomed visitor. Receive them with joy, knowing God is using them for our good and His glory. Do you give thanks for your faith that has been refined by fire? Or do you simply cry out for no more drama as you grumble and strive for comfort in your life? Again, can you sing, 24 karat passion is my prayer? Parents with kids still at home, don't act surprised when your child disobeys. Expect the struggles that disobedience brings and joyfully respond as you use it just as another opportunity to disciple their rebellious hearts. Kids, kids that are here, understand that you aren't king of your life. God is. Don't expect things to always go the way that you are planning them to be or wish them to go because they're going exactly as God has planned them. Relationships will come and go. And if God allows you to live to an old age, expect suffering to occur. The only hope we have in life and death is that we are not our, alone, not our own, but belong to God. So our first point was give thanks because your faith enables you to rejoice in sufferings. Our second point, give thanks for your faith that is refined by fire. And for our third and final point, give thanks because your faith leads to final salvation. Point number three, give thanks for your faith that leads to final salvation. To follow along as I read there in verses 8, 8 through 10. Though you, this is here in 1 Peter. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with an inexpressible and glorious joy, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. How many here are familiar with the term, it's an acronym, WYSIWYG? It's a, it's a strange-sounding acronym, WYSIWYG. What does it stand for? What you see is what you get. WYSIWYG, if you were just to take the, the first letter of each of um, the words in that phrase. The term was used quite commonly in the early days of word processing. So what you see on the screen is going to be an accurate portrayal of what you would be printing out. What you see is what you get. WYSIWYG. I've never been a fan of opaque packages, those blind bags, those packages that you can't see through. Whether it was toys as a child or even now as an adult produce in the grocery store, I want to see what I am getting. I don't, have a typical, I don't typically have a whole lot of faith in receiving something favorable. Blind bag toys are marketed in such a way 
to make you believe that the mystery is so much fun. Collect them all. Sometimes there's hundreds to collect. And they're not telling you, I guess in a way they are telling you, but that you're going to have to um, buy bags and bags and bags to receive maybe that one or two toys that you were looking for. And growing up, it was, it was the same way. Whether it were cereal boxes or at McDonald's, you wanted that one particular toy, and you'd have to continue to go through McDonald's, open it up, be disappointed, go back around, go through McDonald's, be disappointed until you got the one toy. I know, thankfully, now you can go in, you can walk, and you, you can walk in McDonald's and purchase that one toy that you want. But that's not the way it was growing up, kids. I didn't appreciate the mystery. I wanted to know what I was getting. And many wish faith would function in this same way. I'll believe in God, but I want to see Him first. I'll believe in God if I have some kind of verifiable or tangible proof. I was one of those same individuals. If I was going to put my faith in Jesus... If I was going to turn from my sins, if I was going to turn from my selfish, self-absorbed life, I want to see what I'm getting in return. But as we talked about there at the beginning of um, uh, today's sermon, at the beginning of uh, chapter 11, I'm sorry, not bankruptcy, um, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, True faith isn't based on evidence that's verifiable by observation or even experience, but it is a gifted assurance from God. Romans 10.17 doesn't tell us that faith comes by seeing. What does it come by? Hearing. Hearing the Word of God. If you could turn to page 964. Um, sorry, I'm assuming everyone has a pew Bible here. Um, John chapter 20, verse 29. Those of you are using the pew Bible, that's on page 964. So John chapter 20, verse 29. John 20, verse 29. Jesus said, because you have seen me, You have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And Peter was actually one of those people who did get to see Jesus. And even he too struggled with unbelief. And Peter is addressing those individuals who have not seen Jesus and are saying to this group of believers who have devoted their lives to Jesus, You haven't seen him, but you truly love him. You haven't seen him, but you believe in him. And as a result, this is leading to the outcome of your faith. Eternal salvation and all the gifts that God has promised to go along with that. So through faith, what kind of joy do you rejoice with? There at the end of verse 8, so going back to uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, you rejoice with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Essentially, it's a joy so profound that it is indescribable. Take a moment to imagine times in your life where you have experienced just the greatest amount of joy. Maybe it's a wedding day graduation, a vacation or vacations, birth of a child. Maybe it's you've led someone, been a, pro- been a part of the process of leading someone to Christ. Got that picture in your mind? How would you describe that joy? Now I'm going to have you step it up a notch. Try and describe something that is greater, something that just cannot be described. I know it's actually impossible, right? 
just by the fact of it being inexpressible. And we're having to use our imagination there. Maybe it's not the best analogy. But that is something along the lines of what you can expect from this blind bag that we've been gifted um, through Christ, through faith. The best is yet to come. Give thanks because your faith leads to final salvation. So again, our three points. Give thanks to God because your faith enables you to rejoice in your sufferings. Give thanks to God because your faith is refined by fire. And give thanks to God because your faith leads to final salvation. I want to address our non-Christian friends here today. As God has called you here to spend a little bit of time with us this morning and to hear His Word. So if you leave here with nothing else, please leave with this message. None of us, Christians or non-Christians, is as thankful as we ought to be. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18 says to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God says to give thanks in all circumstances, but our gratitude can be very circumstantial. If we see the events unfolding in our lives as favorable, we're thankful. And if not, we complain. And whenever we complain, we feel that we are entitled to something greater, something much better than what we've been given, whether it's slow Wi-Fi, bad traffic, or the sudden loss of health or life. We feel that we are deserving of more. On one hand, we might say that God is in control, and God is with us, but on the other hand, we're displeased with what God has planned for us in that moment or even in that particular season. We're conditionally thankful, not continuously thankful. And the origins of ingratitude can be traced back to the beginning of creation. In the garden, where we see Adam and Eve ungrateful for what God has provided them. They wanted more. They felt that a perfectly wise and sovereign God had gotten it all wrong. This ingratitude, this thanklessness, these are example, examples of what the Bible calls sin. Adam and Eve were guilty of it, and so are all of us here. And the penalty for this rebellion against God as we seek our own selfish desires is death, an eternal death to hell, to an un unquenchable fire, very different from the refiner's fire that we talked about a little bit earlier. And that is the bad news. Our sin has separated us from God, and there's nothing that we can do to make up for our sin. But there's good news, and the good news comes in the form of a Savior who entered into a thankless world and lived a perfect life of thankfulness toward His Father on our behalf. This Savior is Jesus Christ, who came to free us from our enslavement to ingratitude as He too suffered Although unjustly, he died as a substitute on a cross, and he rose from the grave, defeating death in the process. So if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, God has brought you here today to hear his word, and he's calling you to repent from your sin and put your faith in Jesus, who is perfectly thankful for you in all circumstances for you. That's the gospel.
That is the good news of Jesus Christ. So some final application as we close here. To Christians, let us rejoice in trials because of our salvation, our refining, and our final salvation. To non-Christians here, your suffering does not have to be meaningless. God means you to lead Him to Himself, to joy, and to reward, an eternal reward, reward with Him. Repent from your sins and turn to Jesus that you might have life and hope in your sufferings. To Bethany Baptist Church, we are a suffering community. We, have, we are also a saved community, a community that is refined by the trials of life, and a community that is hoping together for our final salvation. Let us continue to bear each other's burdens as you guys continue to beautifully do support each other, and point each other to Christ, our hope and our refuge. So in conclusion, give thanks to God because your faith enables you to rejoice in sufferings. Your faith is refined by fire, and your faith leads to final salvation. So our final call to action, rejoice together in God's goodness in your trials. And if you don't, you will corrupt your faith, you will focus on earthly and perishable things that will eventually disappoint you, and you will drift further and further away from God. But if you rejoice in trials, your faith will be refined. You will be able to set your hope on eternal salvation, our final home, and you will draw near to God. Let us praise and thank God for our trials for He is good to us in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we ask that You help us to be not just hearers, but doers of Your Word. We want to be a people that doesn't complain in response to trials, but rather rejoices as we see Your sovereignty in purifying us and leading us to final salvation. Grant us a passion for your glory, a passion for being refined by you. May a 24-carat passion be our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.